Hi, this is Dominic Kearns with the Rising as One podcast. Before we begin, I'd love to thank several sponsors. I'd like to thank the Beautiful Game Network first. You can find all their stuff at bgn.fm. They're responsible for getting many great USL podcasts out, so please give them a look. Also go to firebirdsoccer.net. This is the new website for our former Firebird Rising coverage, so you can find all sorts of great coverage for Phoenix Rising FC and other soccer-related news in the state of Arizona, all at firebirdsoccer.net. And lastly, we would like to thank Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is a uh, sponsor for, you know, MLS teams, USL teams, all sorts of other stuff. So go to Roughneck Scarves and find a scarf today. And now let's get on to the show. Welcome to this week's Rising is One podcast. This is Aaron Blau sitting in for Dominic Kearns, who is currently out at Havasupai Falls. With me today is our analyst, Kyle Mackey. Kyle, how are you doing today? Ah, uh, you know, um, I'm doing a lot better than I was, you know, say 22 hours ago now. <laughs> um you know, but we got a great match to look forward to this week, so we got to be thankful for that. Indeed, indeed. Uh, it has not been a banner week for uh, Phoenix Rising or their, or our fans. <coughs> we uh, had a midweek game versus the Las Vegas Lights uh, with a final result that ended 5-2. Uh, an interesting match uh, that where uh, Phoenix opened up the scoring very, very early, uh, a little bit of back and forth, and just the last 20 minutes or so uh, was a total disaster for Phoenix. So uh, that loss at 5-2 <clears throat> on Wednesday, and we're going to get a little bit more in analysis of each of these matches uh, a little bit uh, a little bit later here in the pod. Uh, following up was last night's game, uh, Saturday night's game against Portland Timbers 2 a game that saw a lot of opportunity for Phoenix Rising uh, in some good disciplined play, but still ended with Phoenix on the back foot with a one nothing loss. Uh, <clears throat> the big results for that particular game is that it was Didier Drogba's final regular season league match before he retires. Uh, and it was coming off of a very, very wet day. Uh, attendance was down maybe a little bit, but uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that a that as we get into things. Um, going back to the, uh, the Las Vegas match, Kyle, uh, I wanted to talk about, we, we trotted out a bit of an alternative lineup. And on Twitter, I actually... Uh, predicted, strangely enough, most of the lineup. Uh, we had Lubin in goal, uh, Devontae DuBose, Victor Vasquez, Duigi Mala, and Mike DeFont on the back line, with Fernandez and Waldrop serving as defensive midfielders. And uh, up front, we had Shaftborough Jr., Devin Vega, uh, Billy Forbes, and our center, Chris Cortez. <clears throat> Definitely a very alternative lineup. My thoughts in this line, in actually predicting most of them, I had the entire lineup predicted except for Cortez um, and for Victor Vasquez. Uh, I thought that uh, they would put have Freighter in instead of Cortez, resting him uh, for risk of injury, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And they put in Victor Vasquez, who has really seen virtually no service at all through this entire season. <clears throat> I was expecting to see Cody Wakasa play in that in that match. Among the fans there was a tremendous amount of questioning whether Coach Chance was right to use this alternative lineup uh, in Las Vegas. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts about this this second teamish sort of lineup that, that Chance trotted out. Well, I have no problem 
with Rick Shantz doing this. I mean, from a coaching perspective, it makes total sense. You're, uh, you're, you know, starting 11, our strongest 11, who most of them did not see the field that night. Um, you know, they've, they've had a lot of matches as of late. We've had a very tough run in, and, you know, when we looking ahead, he saw this Portland Timbers matches being, you know, pretty important to our seating as where we were going to finish. So it makes sense. Um, but what, what you know was kind of disappointing, and we saw it on the field was those guys. Some of them looked like they lacked the ninety minutes match fitness, um, and just the decision making was poor. But I mean, it looked like from the start that we were gonna you know really get off to a, a great match because we scored early on in that match, and you know to get a goal so early on. Usually, when we see that happen on the road, um, we're able to cruise to victory. So to to you know not push I think in that second half we kind of saw that you know maybe those players on the field they you know weren't totally fresh with their mental soccer game and you know just weren't able to capitalize on those opportunities and Las Vegas was able to equalize before uh before halftime so that really I think kind of put us in a hole and then though we were able to pull one back I think it was still a situation that Las Vegas getting a goal in that first half it gave them a bit of life and we saw in the second half they uh they were came back in great form. Yeah, most certainly. Uh, when we're able to score first, our record is absolutely fantastic. And our this the goal actually came from, I, I don't want to call it an unlikely source, but really uh, one of the bright pieces of, uh, the bright stars of the team uh, as we're looking ahead um, to the remainder of this season and possibly next season uh, with Devin, uh, uh, Devin Vega with that first goal, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Colin Fernandez with that first goal. <clears throat> uh, Vega played a role. Colin Fernandez has has been a very very stout defensive midfielder for us, uh, and and he played very very well. Had a really nice toe poke to the far post um, to to put the the ball past the goalkeeper. Then we have. The not so bright spot, and that is Victor Vasquez. And I appreciate Victor Vasquez. He's a good guy. He's a good player. Um, he's a good man. But uh, I, I just have this feeling that Chance uh, gave him this probably last game of his Phoenix Rising career, maybe the last game of his career period, and said, hey, we're up in Vegas, we're play playing against a team that doesn't have anything to play for, that doesn't have a lot of interest in this game, I'm going to give Vasquez one last start. And unfortunately, <clears throat> that that decision to play Victor uh, really, really w hurt the team. Uh, Vasquez um, in the... Um, Oh, what minute was this? In about in the 28th minute, Vasquez goes to ground in the penalty box, trips up the Las Vegas Lights player, uh, Juan Carlos Garcia. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Carter Manley is who Manley had a, a just a, a great game. He trips up Carter Manley, that allows uh, uh, Juan Carlos Garcia to step up to the penalty spot and put a put a goal past Zach Lubin. Uh, Vasquez, again, a really good guy, but I have a feeling that's who you were referring to when you were talking about match fitness. Is that, am I right there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, you're spot on. And I mean, you never want to, you know, t deliberately call someone out. But um, yeah, and I mean, it definitely showed, you know, that he was just lacking in those situations. And uh, to get back to Victor Vasquez as well, I agree. I was I was actually really surprised to see his name on the team sheet because I mean, as of late, we haven't even seen him traveling with the team in the 18. So, um, really surprised to see him get in. But as you said, I think Rick Schantz kind of saw this game as, you know, yeah, Las Vegas didn't have much to play for. We, you know, should have, have no problem playing, uh, this, you know, type of team, even though, you know, it's on the road and Las Vegas has had a pretty good home record, but, um, I mean, I think that everyone was kind of blindsided by what happened in Las Vegas last week or this week. I think uh, he did rebound uh, for for a portion of the game. He uh, uh, won a 
won a free kick in the 49th minute that was a that was pretty uh, a nice opportunity. He definitely played well, and, and he got a little bit better as the game went on before he was subbed off. But still, I, I think that, that was a rough decision on on, uh, on as far as a roster decision. I'll tell you what the right decision was, and the right decision was playing uh, Devin Vega. <clears throat> Devin Vega just played lights out. Uh, I guess I didn't really mean to make a pun there, but he did play uh, play lights out. Um, played very, very good ball. Uh, he was able to earn a his own penalty kick, and what surprised me more than anything is he, he won the free kick. He picks up the ball, takes it over the spot, waves off, uh, <clears throat> waves off Billy Forbes, waves off Cortez and says, I earned this, I'm taking it. And that sort of ballsy move by, I think he's still only 19 years old, uh, this kid is a special kid, and I think the team is a better team when he's on the pitch. What are your thoughts? No, I, I agree completely, and I mean, um, it, I mean, yeah, you would not expect Devin Vega to, to take the penalty kick in that situation, especially with, you know, Chris Cortez being on the field. And we know that he's just been a clinical finisher all season. So um, really impressed to see that. And, I mean, I think it's great for his confidence. It's great for the team, you know, to see that, you know, hey, this kid can step up and take a penalty no problem. And, you know, to have the toughness to earn it as well. Definitely no flop in that situation, 100% a penalty. Um, I mean, it's it's just great to see. And, and like I said, yeah, at that point I thought that, you know, yeah, we were it was 2-1, but I thought, you know, Phoenix – was in a really good spot to uh, to close out this match, but things just changed in a in a quick quick pace. You know what? I'm going to correct myself. Cortez was not on the field at the time. Uh, he waved off Kevon Freider, and so so we gave a a um, uh, a poor grade to Chance on uh, Vasquez, a good grade to Chance on Vega, um, and I'm going to go back to the decision to start Chris Cortez in this match. Um, I feel was a poor decision. Um, part of the reason why I was predicting a, a, a lineup in this fashion, a, a sort of second team lineup, is for fear of injury. And that's actually exactly what happened in this case. Uh, he starts Chris Cortez. Cortez goes down in the 16th minute. Looked like a, an ankle injury of some sort. He did walk off under his own power. He didn't seem like he was limping, um, but he was <clears throat> he was injured. Freighter comes in in the 16th minute, and we had to use a very early substitution there. And uh, uh, I think Freighter played fairly well, but I think it would have been a very different game if Freighter was in the starting lineup, and maybe you had Cortez on to sub um, instead of him. Possibly. Um, the result of that Again, high risk of injury, skinny field, poor field condition, uh, a rough place to play is we lost Cortez for last night's match. Um, he was in street clothes, on, uh, not in the starting 18. Um, I did see him on the field. He was not labored. He was not walking with a limp. I think that he wasn't playing uh, simply for uh, cautionary purposes and to get some additional rest ahead of the playoffs. But by starting Cortez on Wednesday, we lost him for the Friday match where we were actually playing our first team. Um, so that's a little bit about the thoughts of what happened in terms of that Vegas game uh, on my side. Do you have anything else that you wanted to mention? Well, no, I mean, and you make a great point. It's looking back now, there's no doubt it hurt us because I think we could have Definitely not that Kavon Freider had a bad match last night, but just having the, you know, opportunity to start Cortez and bring Freider on or start Freider and bring Cortez on. But with Cortez out last night, we didn't have that. So when it came to attacking options late in the match, um, our bench was kind of lacking last night. So it was it is definitely, you know, one of those scenarios that, you know, having to play Cortez midweek hurt us. And, you know, we just hope for a quick recovery and that he's able to come back for this Friday match against Portland Timbers too because um, I think we're going to need him badly and he's been in such great form so to see him out on the field is going to be you know huge for the for the fans I think you know just to uh, to have that confidence behind us you know from the get-go that you know we have our top guy out there in our striker position but I mean no this match I mean it in 
what's what's disappointing is that you know it it kind of got out of hand at the end and I think that was due to the fact that it was more, you know, of those second string players in there. So, you know, when one goal got in and then two, you know, the floodgates just kind of opened and Las Vegas was kind of able to score at will. So, um, you know, it's just one of those nights that you kind of just got to chalk it up to, you know, a long season and these matches happen. But uh, it came at a really bad time. Well, speaking of bad timing, that what happened was by losing that match, we went into uh, the final game still with a very minuscule chance at first place, uh, but actually at risk of losing second place in the conference. So now uh, moving on to last night's game against Portland Timbers 2, uh, we had a really solid opportunity to score pretty much straight off of the game. Um, and... and that just seemed like the harbinger for everything else to come. It, it, it was a night of frustration, a night of, um, of you know, very, very near misses. And for me, it, it, sometimes when we play, you sort of feel the goal of building. You can see, okay, we're getting closer, we're getting closer, it's going to come. Last night, I never had that feel. Um, I felt that the team just continued to act in a very frustrated manner. And that leads me to the, the next question. And the question is, has the reinsertion of Didier Drogba upset the chemistry of this team? From my perspective, in both this game and the last home game that he played where I saw them live, um, it feels like when he gets on tilt and his emotions, we saw this last season too. This is no, this isn't that different. Uh, when he gets on tilt, he causes other players to play on tilt. And when something doesn't go the right way, he yells. Uh, Kevon Freider was visibly upset several times. Uh, on, uh, I could tell on the on the pitch last night. Um, and instead of calming a frustration and being able to use his leadership to say, okay, guys, this is going to come. We're almost there. That The, the ball that's going to come, it, it's on its way here. It's, how did you miss this? Why didn't you make that run? Why are you screwing up? And, of course, I can't hear him saying that, but from the sidelines, looking at his body language, that's what it felt like to me. Uh, Kyle, give me your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, you bring up you bring up a really interesting point and a controversial one, you know, at that, um, because everyone wants to see Drogba on the field, and we do see those moments of individual brilliance from him. But I, I mean, I would have to agree with you. In the last few games, it seems like. The last two. I think in Reno, I think he had a good presence and there was good opportunities going through him. But um, especially, well, not in Las Vegas, but this Portland match, I mean, it was just, it was really, like you said, it seemed like he was frustrated with the guys out there. There was this pressure of it being his last regular season match. And it seemed like, you know, it seemed like we were going to get off to that hot start. And when that didn't happen... It seemed like he got frustrated, and then, as you said, it, it kind of got reflected on the rest of the team, and everyone seemed to get frustrated and just disconnected. And like you said, it just seemed like one of those nights that a, a goal just wasn't going to go in. It didn't feel like, as you said, we build up to our goals usually. And, I mean, it's the stats show it, you know, 22 shots and two on target. It was just it was just not a night for us to, uh, to find the back of the net, and that was really tough, and... I mean, I think that the emotion is what played into this Portland Timbers eventually scoring a goal. Um, because if you look at it, you know, we kind of had a missed call, missed opportunity, not go our way. And then Portland Timbers, you know, gets back on the counter and is able to score a quick goal late in the match and steal a victory. So I think uh, you're dead on with the emotion playing a huge factor into this match. Yeah. And the well, refereeing. Well, <laughs> we have to bring that up as well. We're going to get there, I think, in just a second here. Uh, yeah, that 22 goals, two on target, uh, that's just killer. And it did feel like 
this the players surrounding Didier were trying to get the ball into him so that he could get that one last regular season goal. Um, it felt like there was some some forces there. Now I'm not going to say he play, he did not play poorly. He played very well. He showed some great ball skill. He had an amazing amazing lead pass. Um, I don't remember if it was after Brewer came in or if it was up to Johnson. Uh, it was in the first uh, the first half. Yeah, the, uh, that was to Johnson. To Johnson, it was an amazing lead pass from the 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 rising the rising half, and it made its way. Um, so he played very very well. It just seems like, especially when that that pressure built in the last twenty minutes, um, that there was nothing to let the steam off and. I don't know if that's the role that he's supposed to play, the role that Iwako has traditionally played or not, but it it just kept building and building, and I think the team was not able to handle the the pressure of the night uh, ultimately. Now we'll go over to referee. Now we want to remember Laurent Varga. Laurent Varga, that was the, the center referee. That's the referee that we don't necessarily want again. Um, but I, I'm going to say I, I've seen a little bit of video on the uh, freighter uh, offside, the, for the freighter non-goal that was called offside. Um, based on the rule, the offside rule, uh, freighter was in an offside position. When a ball is deflected off of a, off of a keeper save, he was he was in an offside position when the shot went off. The ball was saved by the keeper, deflected by the keeper, and it went to his feet. When that happens, the player has an unfair advantage, um, and is therefore offside. It's my opinion, from research from looking at the video and actually researching Rule 11, the offside rule, that that was a correct call, and it was just discussed a little bit on uh, Twitter, so I wanted to to put that out there because, unfortunately, I that was the right call. I think that the fans in the stands would have no idea if that, that, that that's the correct call. It, it is one of those things that you would have to know or look up the rule in order to get it right. Well, and you couldn't, there's no way you could see that from the supporter section. And, um, I mean, it, 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 I agree with you. It, it, by the letter of the law, it is the right call. But for me, I think there's also times where a yellow card could have easily been justifiable and it hadn't been, uh, been used and a penalty shout or two as well for Phoenix. Um, I can vividly remember one with Solomon Asante to where he was just taken out in the box, pushed off the ball, just muscled off. And, you know, that's that nine times out of ten, that's a penalty. And this was that one time where it wasn't and it couldn't have came on a worse night. So uh, com- completely agree. Uh, and I think that that came in just the, the waning minutes of the game. Uh, yeah, exactly. So that just built the emotion, you know, that much more. It made the fans not only remember, oh, that. It, where it was an iffy offside goal, but now he denied us a penalty as well. So when you know when when those kinds of things are happening, I mean, we even heard Rick Schantz get into it. It's it's just frustrating. It, it was very frustrating, and it, you could tell it was frustrating for several of the players. There are several players who generally like to walk around, who uh, you know like to meet the fans after the after the match, even on a loss. But Amadou Dia, when that final whistle blew, Amadou Dia sprinted into the locker room. He was not going to stay on that pitch. Um, he just an incredible amount of frustration. I can't imagine. Uh, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in the locker room after that match, but uh, definitely agree with you. Uh, th- there were I, he, the, the center referee simply lost control. He lost control of the match. Um, that was the longest four minutes at the end of the game I think I've ever had in terms of a four-minute extension. Now, I did see some of the replay, and it really was like only four and a half minutes, but to me it felt like an hour and a half. Uh, it, it really did. Um, so anyway, all right. So that's that. Uh, it was a, a just a difficult match that saw, that saw us losing. As a result of the, this loss, we dropped down to third place in the standings. Uh, we lose a chance for a potential second round playoff home game. Um, and, uh, 
a lot of frustration that's going to be had as we head in to play Portland Timbers 2 a second time in a row. This time we have a rematch and it is going to be a very entertaining night on Friday, October 19th. Uh, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. One piece of news that did drop this week uh, on Friday, uh, there was a, a leak that caused a response that was required from Major League Soccer, as well as from some folks in Columbus, uh, dealing with the Columbus crew. And that is that the Columbus crew and the supporters, the supporters of the Columbus crew, save the crew, uh, was able to find or encourage uh, the Haslam family, the, the owners of the Browns, to get involved in the Columbus crew situation. And what was leaked, and nothing, not all of this is totally confirmed, so this is, there's some of this that was partially confirmed or hinted about, but none of this is actually confirmed, and there are no final deals done. But the concept is that the Columbus Crew brand, the players, um, and potentially maybe some of the front office, will all be staying in Columbus. And Anthony Precourt, uh, uh, Precourt Sports Ventures will take the franchise that they own uh, that currently manages the crew and will take the franchise to Austin and they will not start play until about 2021 potentially. This leaves the crew in place with a new set of ownership, the Haslam family who owns the Cleveland Browns and essentially the function of this is that Precourt who owns the team and owns the franchise rights takes his franchise rights to Austin to start a new team. And the ownership group uh, managed by the, ha the Haslam's will receive one of the two expansion slots that MLS currently has up for grabs. Now, I caught a bunch of heat on Twitter, and you can feel free to go check out fit at FitBawPhoto and read all of that. But I'm not, I don't want to rehash um, the whole hornet's nest that I stirred up personally. The issue is, how does this affect Phoenix? How does this affect our potential for a bid? And that's ultimately where my whole perspective came from, is that now we have, we have cities and we have supporters and we have owners who are fighting not for two slots anymore, but for one slot. And not only that, They've already granted two slots basically to East Coast teams. We were expecting two slots to go to West Coast teams. That made Phoenix's bid look really, really good. But now they granted one of the two expansion slots to Columbus, another East Coast team, leaving, uh, I mean, San Antonio is pretty much out of the running. But San Diego, Phoenix, Sacramento, uh, there are some, some folks with some really high quality bids out there and now we're all fighting for one and to me there's a question of fairness whether or not the new ownership group in Columbus should be allowed to jump the line history notwithstanding I get it they're an original franchise um, I get that they are uh, that they have a lot of history and I get that this is really a fan driven decision. These are folks who stood up to the powers that be that said, hey, we need our team. We want our team. You guys can't take our team away from us. We have ownership in this whole situation. And more power to them. But when your average attendance is amongst the worst in the league before pre-court announced the move, and your record's not fantastic. Anyway, I got a lot of perspective perspectives on this. My perspective is based, though, that I am dedicated to this team. I'm dedicated to Phoenix Rising, and I want the best for us. I'm happy for them. They won something. But in winning something, they made our 
chances for victory more difficult. Kyle, tell me how wrong I am. Well, I mean, there's two sides to the coin here. I mean, it's, yeah, you feel great for Columbus, and they don't have deserve to have their team taken away from them. I don't think any club deserves that. I think that looking at a new ownership option is always a great choice. When it comes down to Phoenix's chances, from my perspective, this doesn't change anything because I see us as the best possible MLS market out there without a team right now. Um, there's no doubt about it. The demographics don't lie. Our supporters don't lie. The results on the field don't lie. Um, so I think that it's you know it's a matter of time till Phoenix gets a team. And if this is what keeps Phoenix out of MLS, do we even want to be a part of a league that we all know is really just a business it's not about the soccer. It's not about any of that. It's a business. They're trying to compete with the other major league sports in America, which we all know it's going to take a long time for soccer to reach the level of the NHL, the NBA, the MLB, and the NFL even. I mean, it's it's going to take a while. But there's no doubt it's on its way there. But I also like what the USL has been doing. So, I mean, I personally am... I'm split on whether we go to MLS or not. There's advantages and disadvantages to being in each league, but I mean, if this is what's gonna, you know, keep Phoenix out of it, I think that's that's really disappointing to be led along all along by this pretty girl and then be told no. I mean, do we do we really want to keep having that? I I personally would, you know, just say no and move on because someday MLS is gonna come asking Phoenix for two allow a franchise here because I mean this is a great city that's only growing every single year and the support for soccer out here is unreal I mean we've seen it in the past two years the amount of growth that this club has experienced you know has been insane and I no other city can really say that maybe Sacramento but I still think that we have an edge on Sacramento just due to our location in the southwest versus Sacramento being where there's already an MLS team only you know an hour away in San Jose. So, um, I mean, I, I really don't think this changes too much, but I mean, it will be interesting. But as you said, they added another East team. Austin will presumably be West. I mean, they could be on the cusp, really, you could argue. So I think now they have to add a West team no matter what. And I think Phoenix is the most attractive option. I'm right there with you. Um, Phoenix undoubtedly has the best uh, the best demographics. Everything on paper is exactly where it needs to be. Um, I'm just you know constantly looking for how are we going to get screwed. Um, but ultimately, I came down exactly where you said. If they don't want us, you know what? We don't want them. Um, USL is a fantastic league. USL has done something with a Division Two league. Um, in terms of their media marketing, uh, their broadcasting rights, everything that USL has done is really fantastic. Uh, we had uh, some, we actually had some guys out from USL, from the, the Tampa offices at this game, and they have done a fantastic job supporting Phoenix Rising as we've gone through. They've done a great job supporting us and other teams who are looking for bids to move up. Um, and not treating us like a pariah, you know, that, that, you know, we're only part of the club for a little while. They appreciate us. And uh, you, so big props to USL uh, on everything that you've done, moving from D2 to D3, or uh, D3 to D2, um, now going back to restart the D3 and creating a proper pyramid, just like what we were talking about two weeks ago um, on the Rising podcast. So, um Anyway, to the supporters who are out there who are listening, uh, I do apologize for sounding like I was coming down on Save the Crew. Hey, supporters deserve all the respect in the world. They want a hell of a victory for them. Uh, again, my only perspective is this is my home, this is my team, and I really don't care that much about other teams. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just all about what's best for Phoenix and what's best for, for Phoenix Rising. Well, absolutely. And you know if if we come up against the Columbus crew in some match, 
you know, we're going to support Phoenix 100% and, you know, say down with the crew. But I mean, it's, it's one of those situations that yes, it makes, it makes our odds maybe a little uh, less likely, but I still, I don't, I don't think it hurts us too much because I just see, I just see Phoenix as the best opportunity for MLS right now to expand in in the Western market. We have every single box checked. I mean, we've given them everything. The ball's in their court. And like you said, if they don't want us, honestly, at this point, the USL's done amazing things. I think the amount of growth we've seen from the USL in the past few seasons, I mean, when the MLS was just getting off of its feet, we did not see this. The MLS is a 20-year-old league, and I think where the USL could be in 20 years could be amazing. So, um, I mean, it's I really have no qualms if you know the MLS bid doesn't ever come to fruition. Absolutely, um, and I I just wanted to, I wanted to try and check to see if I could look up the year-to-date attendance for USL. Uh, USL year-to-date attendance looks to be posted at 2.7 million. Uh, among the 30, uh, 33 teams that are in USL. So, you know, there are teams that are really doing things very, very well um, and, and just doing things right. Now, we're going to lose lose about 400000 off of that total next year, or is it the year after when FC Cincinnati moves up? Uh, but Phoenix Rising sitting eighth in total attendance um, at 108000 uh, for for the season, and that's a fantastic piece of the pie uh, for USL. So, uh, again, USL does done a great job. All right, I want to move on to our Firebird soccer calendar. We have some great events coming up in the next week. On, the, on Friday the 19th, coming up against the Phoenix Rising match against Portland Timbers 2 that we're going to talk about next, uh, GCU women do f- uh, face New Mexico State. And that's going to be a, uh, let's see, that's a 7 o'clock match. At 1 o'clock on Sunday, ASU women face Washington in a Pac-12 match. Also at 1 o'clock on Sunday, GCU women face Utah Valley. Uh, So those are a couple games to look out for. The big game that, aside from the Phoenix Rising match happening on the 19th, the big game... uh, to be setting your calendar for is that Sporting Arizona or Sporting AZ FC begins its U.S. Open Cup run at MCC on Sunday, October 21st at 7 7 p.m. Sporting AZ FC notoriously knocked off Phoenix Rising in the, uh, uh, the Phoenix Rising or in the second round of the U.S. Open Cup last season. This season, they open up at home against Southwest FC. That's a, uh, another amateur team from the Texas League, it, uh, and they are going to be visiting us from El Paso. Of course, Sporting AZ FC does have a lot of mem- a lot of returning members from last year, uh, as well as a lot of members from the the recent uh, I International Soccer Foundation. 6v6 World Cup uh, that we covered a little bit in Portugal. So uh, definitely get out there on the 20, the evening of the 21st at, at Mesa Community College and support and always support local soccer. But of course the biggest game in the next week is Phoenix Rising against Portland Timbers 2 the rematch. I, we got to think of, there's got to be a better name, you know, the it's not the sequel, it's, you know, the rumble in the valley i don't know we got to think of something better to promote it because after saturday's game this game is so important of course it's a knockout game in the first round of the usl playoffs uh it's everything from here on out is a must-win game um what are your thoughts going into face timbers two a second time in seven days Oh, you you obviously did not get the memo about the Salt River forest fire that's about to take place because I love that we end up playing Timbers 2 again as this first-round playoff match because if if I know anything about this team, they are going to come out so pissed off and just want to slap them off the field. And I hope they don't play with too much emotion to where cards come into effect, but I think that... I mean, the, these Phoenix players are going to be so fired up. Shantz isn't going to have to say anything in that pregame talk. 
I mean, they're all going to know exactly what they need to do against this team that gave them such a tough night out six nights ago. You know, it's I it, I love that it's it's not quite a home in home and that we had to go up to Portland, but still the fact that we get to see them again after such a frustrating loss as we talked about. I mean, it's this is great. I think this game, this match is where Phoenix can really turn it around and get their form in check and start on a great run through the cup like we've talked about all season. Yeah. We ended the regular season on two losses. The regular season is over. It doesn't matter. I saw someone say, we're all 0-0 right now, and that's 100% the truth. It does not matter where anyone ended in the point rankings, any of that. You can't worry about home field advantage. You just have to take each match that you have in front of you and give all you have out there for 90 minutes, 120 minutes, or 140 minutes with penalties. I mean, it's... It's do or die now, and I think we all know that this Phoenix team is going to live up to it, especially with their fans behind them at home after you know such a tough night as we talked about. Um, I'm super excited. I mean, I I'm just pumped up about it. I cannot wait, and it's going to be it's going to be a great match. I got a good feeling. It's definitely going to have a different feel. Uh, first of all, it's a Friday night game. Uh, second of all, it's going to be Dollar Beer Night, and of course we have fantastic history in Dollar Beer Night. I think we're seven and zero on do- on Dollar Beer Nights this year, uh, so th- so that's going to yep. be huge. And some of the atmosphere that was lacking in this final match, um, as the result of the weather uh, and people in Phoenix being scared to drive any time it rains, uh, the place is going to be packed. It's going to be louder. It's we're going to show Timbers too a different view of the same exact stadium that they were just in. Um, And I think it's going to be, this is the first ever home playoff match for the the Phoenix Rising, Arizona United, Phoenix Wolves franchise. Is that correct? 100% correct, yep. Yeah, so I I think the fans are going to be coming to play. Uh, I think some of the fans said, look, you know, it's the final game of the season. It doesn't really matter. We need to save our money up so that we're we're going to make sure we're at the playoff match. Uh, and I think that the, the atmosphere, Timbers 2 is going to see a drastically different atmosphere. Um, I think the supporters are going to step up their game, uh, whereas the last game was, okay, we want to give Drogba a proper send-off. I think this game, this this match is going to be going for the kill um and it's going to be going for the kill for 90 full minutes uh i definitely want to see i know who i want to see on the field i want to see devin vega on the field i think this team is so much better with devin vega i want to see want to make sure you know i want to see uh kevon lambert on the field um i want to see jason jones on the field and these guys are healthy now and they're playing playing hard and playing well um and we're going to have our proper back line. Everybody's going to be pretty much healthy. The only real question mark going into the game in terms of health-wise, I think, is Chris Cortez. And uh, that's simple. And, and we just don't know because I think he probably could have dressed last night. But I think that they didn't want to risk it. Um, they had. They knew that they had Freighter. They knew that uh, that they could have Freighter up, uh, playing up top. They knew that they had Drogba. And they did play Drogba in a slightly different role last night uh, than, than he typically plays. Um, he was playing the back part of the diamond instead of the, the, the tip of the diamond um, on that, uh, um, what, 4-2, 4-1 formation that we have. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of an it, – it, it's going to be a different feel. That's, that's what I have to say. Yeah, it'll be a lot of the same faces, but as you said, it'll be a different feel from the fans and I think the players as well. Um, it's not going to be, you know, Drogba's last regular season match and all the fanfare that there was this time. It's it's going to be, you know, a do or die match, winner go home. Um, and this team, I mean, this is what this whole season's been building towards, and that's that'll be the message in the locker room. And you know, it'll be forget about last week, forget about everything, use that frustration tonight and you know make it happen out there on the field and i mean i like you said i think that we'll we'll no doubt see see that reflected and i mean it it will be very interesting the starting lineup i mean um a lot of people are asking does drogba start should drogba start um what are your thoughts aaron 
That's a fantastic question. Uh, Drogba's on the bench for me. Uh, flat out, Drogba's on the bench. Uh, I think he changed the game too much, or he's changing the game too much. Uh, he should not be free doing free kicks. He should not. I'm sorry. He should be doing free kicks that have goal scoring opportunities. Um, but he should not be taking corners. Well, uh, when he's out there, he's he's sort of bossy on those uh, on those opportunities that he's going over and he's gonna gonna take them. But that's the role for Solomon Asante. I mean, you need the guy who's what is he six two to be in the middle, and the guy that's five three to be taking the kick, not the other way around. Uh, so it, if he can get on board with that, I'm good with him playing some time, but. I want Drogba on the bench. He can come in toward the end if we get an opportunity uh, where it looks like we're going to have, you know, where things are getting chippy. Great. Put him in. But other than that, let him watch. Let him coach from the sidelines. Let him do his assistant coaching role that he was doing so well when he wasn't match fit. Uh, and Because that is, that, that's when we were winning. And since he's been dressing, we're not. Yeah, no, I, and see, it, it, you know, it, it's it's not what everyone wants to hear because we all love and respect Didier Drogba and what he's done for our club and, you know, just the legacy that he's built. But he, he needs to be on the bench because, as we've talked about, he's kind of taken away from this team. A lot of the midfield problems, I think, have, you know, we've seen great class from him when he's on the ball, but the disconnect it's happened just with his introduction into the starting 11. And as you said, I think he's better as a super sub than he is as a starter right now at this point in his career. I think he brings on that presence. You know, when the other team sees him coming on as a super sub, he brings, you know, oh, shit, Drogba's coming on. Now Now we have something else that we have to deal with. We've been dealing with Chris Cortez for 70 minutes. Now we have a legend coming on who wants to go off as a legend and is going to score on us. So... I think that's a much better effect to have. Um, yeah, so I, I'm 100% with you, but the tough thing is is this is dependent on Cortez being fit and being healthy. And uh, I, like you, hope that you know your take is correct and that you know he could have even played last night. It was just precautionary, which it, you know in a match like that, you don't want to take a risk in aggravating an existing injury before a you know, actual critical match because we already had playoffs clinched. So absolutely the right call not to play him last night but he needs to start because we are going to need chris cortez and his you know just great goal scoring abilities that he's shown this season um on friday night and i think that everything is in phoenix's favor as you said we're playing a team that we just had a frustrating game against and i think i don't know the stat but i think for every one nil victory that we suffered we've probably come back and gotten a result out of that next match and especially at home and on dollar beer night, I think there can be no doubt. So um, it's it's going to be a great match. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we do, uh, we're going to wrap up a little bit here. Um, next time we get together, we'll talk about the year-end awards. We'll talk about the, uh, the uh, Red Fury year-end award as, uh, as well that went to Solomon Asante. Um, and uh, talk about some things as we're looking forward to uh, to the future. But for now, we're just going to keep our minds on this playoff match and what it's going to take to win the to win the game. Uh, Kyle, I think you said it very very succinctly. And what it's going to take us to win, and that's just the players doing and knowing what they they need to do. They don't they don't need a coach to tell them what to do at this point. They know. Um, do you have any other thoughts before we wrap up? Well, I mean, just it's not time to panic. You know, a lot of people out there in the Twitter sphere are panicking, and it's not time for that. I mean, it's it, last night's match. Yeah, it would have been great to score a bunch of goals, finish first, or for sure finish finish second. But that's not what happened, and we can't dwell in that past. The players can't be in that mental space right now. Seeing that shit online is not going to help. So we need to move on. Forget about it. It's over. Nil-nil, clean slate, let's play our best football. The players know that. They know how to get the most out of the ball when it's on the field. They know what to do, and you know I think we will see that reflected because this team has shown nothing but heart this season, even in their losses, and 
they're going to want to give that back to the entire club because it's just been an amazing run. And even if things don't go our way, you know, it's it's been a great season and it's it does not matter. I mean, this club has just done so much and you just got to appreciate being at the Phoenix Rising Soccer Complex and seeing those great players on the field give their effort because they're doing it for the fans. I mean, they've they've shown it time and time again, and there's no doubt. I'm right there with you. We're entering our second season. Every sport has a second season. This is the second season. Regular season is over. This is all that remains. So we, we're not, we don't have to dwell. We don't have to think. We don't have to analyze. Uh, it all just comes down to putting the best 11 on the field to start, uh, having the best possible subs available, making smart plays, not being too cute, sticking with what we know and, and doing what we do. Um, and, and, you know, playing all out. And I think that, that the players are going to bring it, and I think our fans are going to bring it, and I think it's going to be a fantastic environment on Friday. I'm really, really looking forward to it. And then uh, going out uh, afterwards to either celebrate or, or drown, uh, drown uh, I'm not even going to talk about that. Uh, my birthday is on Saturday, so the game's on the 19th. Uh, my birthday is on the 20th. Uh, so, you know, hopefully we'll all still be together when the time comes around to, uh, uh, to celebrate my birthday at, at uh, 12.01 midnight. We'll all be in, in a very happy, happy place. Well, that's it for the Rising as One podcast for this week. We will have a, some comments from Dom, uh, uh, probably preceding this and probably after this as well. Uh, as he sent me a couple of recordings of some of his thoughts about the match. So with that, thank you very much. And we'll see you on Friday as Phoenix rising faces Portland Timbers two in round one of the 2018 USL playoffs. Go rising, go rising. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is the official scarf supplier for MLS, USL, and US soccer. So be sure to go to roughneckscarves.com and get some of their products. We hope you enjoyed the show.